Let's turn in our Bibles to Psalm 22. Providentially today, we will, we will uh, also in our reading speak of the sacrifice of Christ. Proverbs, I'm sorry, Psalms, uh, the Psalms, Psalm 22, verse 1. Hear now the inerrant, infallible, and inspired word of God. To the chief musician upon Ahialet Shahar, a Psalm of David. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? O my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not, and in the night season, and am not silent. But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee, They trusted, and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee, and were delivered. They trusted in thee, and were not confounded. But I am a worm, and no man, a reproach of men, and despised of the people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip, they shake the head, saying, He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. But thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breasts. I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have compassed me, strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. They gaped upon me with their mouths as as a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up. Like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws, and thou hast brought me into the dust of death. For dogs have compassed me, the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me, they pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones, they look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. But be not thou far from me, O Lord. O my strength, haste thee to help me. Deliver my soul from the sword, my darling from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth, for thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorns. I will declare thy name Unto my brethren, in the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. Ye that fear the Lord, praise him. All ye the seed of Jacob, glorify him and fear him. All ye the seed of Israel. For he hath not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. Neither hath he hid his face from him. But when he cried unto him, he heard. My praise shall be of thee in the great congregation. I will pay my vows before them that fear him. The meek shall eat and be satisfied. 
They shall praise the Lord that seek him. Your heart shall live forever. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn unto the Lord. And all the kindreds of the nations shall worship before thee. For the kingdom is the Lord's, and he is the governor among the nations. All they that be fat upon earth shall eat and worship. All they that go down to the dust shall bow before him, and none can keep alive his own soul. A seed shall serve him. It shall be accounted to the Lord for a generation. They shall come and shall declare his righteousness unto a people that shall be born, that he hath done this. May God add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his most holy word. So I have a couple of things to mention by way of introduction to Psalm 22 before we dive into the text itself. The first is this, that we have just uh, survived a time in our broader Christian culture where everyone has said to celebrate the incarnation, right? The birth of Christ. Christmas as they call it. Of course, we know Jesus wasn't born in December. He was born probably in the spring uh, when the shepherds would be out in the fields lambing. So we know that. And, and, and we know that Christmas is not a, quote, holy day that, that Christ himself has instituted. And we look for an institution, don't we, in Scripture. So uh, we are told from well-meaning brothers and sisters that uh, Christmas helps us to focus on the incarnation of Christ. I, I, I have never really um, been on board with that idea. It really does um, uh, speak to us about the incarnation, but only a very small part of the incarnation of Christ. Uh, nobody's afraid of a baby in a manger. No one objects to... Uh, a baby in a manger, and the you know the the uh, hot chocolate story of of the you know traveling to Jerusalem and all of that. And it is a good story; it's a biblical story. But it's not the it's not the whole of the story, is it? And very often in those focuses upon that part of Christ's incarnation, uh, we'll we'll hear of his condescension, and they came out of heaven, and so on. May I say it this way, uh, the condescension of Christ is not exhausted in the manger. It is here in Psalm 22. His condescension was all the way to becoming the abject of God for us. That he would be, uh, that he would uh, uh, hang on the cross for us and cry out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That this is really what we would call the depth of Christ's humiliation because shortly thereafter he dies and is buried and continues under the power of death for a time. That when we talk about the, the incarnation of Christ, it is a much more, it's a, it's a much broader picture than that celebration on the 25th of, of December ever talks about. That when we talk about the incarnation, it includes a body, as we will see, Lord willing, in just a little bit here, that is broken. Blood that is shed. 
So that's the first thing that I wanted to remind you of in Psalm 22, that really when we look at the incarnation, we want to look at all of it, the whole bit of the incarnation and humiliation of Christ. The second thing that I want to mention here is that Psalm 22 is one of those passages that uh, some folks will look at the, at the, at the word-for-word fulfillment of the prophecy that is Psalm 22. And we'll look at some aspects of that. It's not a sermon, so we won't take all that time. But they'll look at that and they will expect all other prophecy to be just as clear as it is here in Psalm 22. And prophecy isn't written that way, beloved. Psalm 22 is perhaps some of the clearest prophecies in Scripture with regard to the step-by-step humiliation of Christ upon the cross. Christ himself will point everyone to Psalm 22 by his own words, quoting 22 verse 1. So it's important that Christ pointed us to Psalm 22 to hear about his own crucifixion. And then when we turn to Psalm 22 and we compare that with the gospel record, we're going to find some exacting prophecy. But that doesn't mean that we're going to expect that kind of exacting prophecy in every scripture prophecy. And we need to be careful with that, don't we? We need to, we need to take scripture as the Lord presents it to us. Okay, so those two introductory comments on the incarnation of Christ and then on prophecy generally. Let's go ahead and dive into Psalm 22 for a few moments. On the title, which is in the Hebrew language, verse 1, to the chief musician, so it is given for public worship. And we do sing Psalm 22. Uh, The church should be singing Psalm 22. People will say, well, we never sing of Jesus in the Psalter. Sing Psalm 22. And you'll sing about the crucifixion of Christ. And it will come to you in stark prophetic language, won't it? Secondly, Ayyaleth uh, Shahar means upon the hind of the morning. What is a hind? A hind is a, is a deer-like animal, an antelope-like animal. One that, is, that has a, a reputation of being fleet of foot, right? Fast, climbing, running, fleet of foot. And the hind of the morning, that is... Um, uh, in that glorious uh, time of the day when the sun first rises. So, commentators are divided as to why Eicheleth Shahar is put at the, at the beginning of Psalm 22. Let me give you my opinion. Uh, I think that what, what we see in Psalm 22 is a contrast that the writer of the psalm, uh, the speaker of the psalm, David, but prophetically Christ is himself that Ayaleth Shahar, that hind of the morning, in contrast to the other animals that are mentioned in this psalm. Bulls, dogs, and other violent and rapacious animals. So Christ, instead of being like that, Christ is that hind of the morning that provides deliverance instead of those other animals that are wont to rip and tear, if you will. 
That's my take on it. Some commentators would agree, some would disagree. All right, so let's dive into the psalm itself then in verse 1. Um, this first portion, of course, was quoted by Christ upon the cross and served as a reminder to all that heard him that Psalm 22 was about him. Matthew 27, 46, Mark 15, 34, Luke 24, 44. When we sing with understanding then, we point our attention to the crucifixion of Christ when we sing Psalm 22. And Jesus did that for us. Um, I believe also that David and all faithful Israelites knew that they weren't singing about David. That they were singing about that greater son of David to come. Um, we must take care here also that the word forsaken here is a descriptive word and not an essential word. It's not an ontological word, in other words. When Jesus says, why hast thou forsaken me? Uh, this is not to say that there was some kind of break in the triune Godhead. That's simply impossible. Can't be done. If there was an ontological break in the, in, the, in the persons or between the persons of the Godhead, then the universe flies apart, right? God, the triune God, created and keeps everything that is. So it's not possible for God to change or to be modified in that way. Jesus speaks here descriptively because he becomes the one who receives all of the treatment of one who is forsaken of God, although it is impossible for Christ to be separated from his Father. But he receives every bit of the treatment of one who has been forsaken by God. That is, that Jesus Christ uh, endured on the cross and in his death the punishments of hell for us. What happens in hell? People are absolutely forsaken by God. There is no kindness there. Hope is a vice. Right? Everything that takes place in hell is apart from God's comfortable and favorable presence in anything. There is only judgment as one who has been completely forsaken by God. This is what Christ undertook on the cross. This tells us the depth of the punishment of Christ for our sakes. He did stand completely in our stead right that's what that means so um, we also note the ignorance of the people in Christ's day they said he's calling for Elijah right in that he said Eli Eli my God my God right because Elijah's name is Eli Yah Jehovah is my God that's what the name Elijah means. So there's an overlap there in the sound, but in the sound only. He was actually quoting Psalm 22, and they were ignorant of the scriptures. Beloved, do not be ignorant of the Bible. All right, so then the, the, the psalmist shows the seeming hopelessness of his plight. I cry in the morning and in the night, but you do not hear don't, don't receive this as God didn't hear his son. Receive it this way, that Christ trusted and faithfully cried out to his father. Even though outward circumstances may have revealed something that would appear different. 
Remember, those are only apparent differences. If I can put it in the context of our sermon series uh, of thinking hard thoughts of God. Right? It will seem sometimes that we have been forsaken. But beloved, we know. We know beyond what it seems to us to be true. We know beyond that from God's word that he does not forsake his own. Ever. Notice how the faithful psalmist encourages himself. He encourages encourages himself first with sound doctrine. Thou art holy. Thou dost inhabit the praises of Israel. Uh, This is clear. While we may not be able to sense the nearness and protection of God, we know better. And so the psalmist encourages himself with sound doctrine, first of all, and then secondly, with sound history. Our fathers trusted, and they were delivered. Beloved, this is, this is pastoral counseling 101. When people come to me and they say, Pastor, it seems like I've been forsaken of God. The first thing I tell them is, you ought to refresh that thought with sound doctrine and sound history. This is how the writers did it in Scripture. This is how the psalmist did it. This is how the prophets did it. And it's how we should do it too. He continues with his case, I am a worm and no man. Well, this speaks of the depths of Christ's humiliation, doesn't it? When he took upon himself the guilt of our own sins, they became in that sense his, and he became that worm for us, if you will. Note that sinners reproach him, who is perfection itself, And from the perspective of David, this shows that he is dependent upon the mercy of God. There's no sense of merit here, only humiliation. And so we have one eye on David, one eye on Christ. The next phrase is a direct prophecy of Christ upon the cross. Quoting uh, from Psalm 22, Matthew 27, 43, talks about the people that surrounded Christ. And they said what? He trusted in God. Let him deliver him then. They didn't know it. Obviously they didn't know it. They've already said he's calling for Elijah. So it wasn't Psalm 22 they were quoting. They were ignorant of Psalm 22. Yet they quoted Psalm 22. Didn't they? Isn't that interesting? This is a taunt. It's supposed to prove the truth of it. Seeing that Christ has seemingly been abandoned by God. Well, we don't want to build our theology on appearances. Once again, the past is remembered. A sanctified interpretation of history is used for his comfort. This is the only way rightly to understand what's happening to us. Right? The The psalmist twice then encourages himself from his own history. He was cast upon the Lord from his earliest of days. Why would it be thought that the Lord would forsake him now? I was cast upon thee, he said, from my mother's breast. Why would the Lord forsake me now when he cared for me in my earliest days? And so he, he takes hold of the, of the faith of, shall we say, infants. That's an interesting thing, right? How the psalmist assumes that those who are upon their mother's breast can hope in the Lord. We're told by some well-meaning brethren that that simply can't take place. 
It takes place here in Psalm 22. So then in verse 11 through verse 21, in this next section, the sufferings of Christ are set forth in dramatic, predictive prophecy. First of all, his prayer, be not far off from me. And now we have the contrast of the animals, uh, dogs, unicorns, lions, uh, bulls. What's a unicorn? It's not that pinkish little or light blue mythical beast, right? It's a rhinoceros, one that rips and tears. And so what do we have here? We have the Aheleth Shahar, the hind of the morning on the one side, and those beasts of prey that would, that would hunt him down on the other. And then the next portion we have the crucifixion aptly described and specifically Christ's own crucifixion. They gaped upon me, that is, they opened their mouths in accusation. Matthew 26, 59 through 65. I am poured out like water as an offering. Matthew 26, 38. My bones are out of joint, which was indeed a part of the torture of the cross. Mark 14, 33 and 34. My heart is like wax, it is melted within me. This speaks of despair. This speaks of, of becoming that abject sufferer. Mark 14, 33 and 4 again. My strength is dried up. My tongue cleaves to my jaws from panting in agony, dried up, thirsty. John 19, 28. I'm compassed about by dogs, Luke 22, 63 through 71. They pierce my hands and my feet, <coughs> Matthew 27, 35. I may tell all my bones, that is from distress and exposure throughout the narrative of the cross. They look and stare, Luke 23, 35. They parted my garments, Matthew 27, 35. Amazing line upon line upon line of predictive prophecy. It is undeniable that Psalm 22 was predictive of the crucifixion of Christ. Then his prayer, be not far off from me, my strength. Deliver my soul, my darling, my precious one. My precious life is what's being said there. His dearest, his dearest possession. And beloved, let me say it this way. Many have died and lost their greatest possession, trying to save a lesser possession. You can gain the whole world, can't you, and lose your own soul. And this also shows the humanity of Christ. He, he calls out unto the Lord for his very human life. Christ was indeed man. All right, so then the triumphal portion in verse 22 to the end of the, of, of the psalm. <clears throat> I will declare thy name unto my brethren. Jesus says what? I, if I am lifted up from the earth, quoting from John 12, I will draw all men or all kinds of men to myself. I will declare thy name unto my brethren. Note his confidence then. David and Christ both have confidence in the Lord's deliverance such that they both will continue to minister in their respective offices. Verse 23 is a remarkable verse 
in light of the circumstances of the psalmist, he calls upon all the seed of Israel to praise and glorify the Lord and to fear him. Beloved, when you are in the, in the midst of such difficulty, are you able not only yourself to praise, but to call upon your brethren as well to praise the Lord? This is the example both of David and of Christ. It's the example of the Apostle Paul. We are familiar with his writings as well, aren't we? Notice he has not despised the afflicted. He has respect to our afflictions. When we are afflicted, we have a tendency as human beings to despise the afflicted, to turn our eyes away. Not the Lord. He has not despised the afflicted. Christ shall praise the Lord then in the midst of the great congregation and in the person of the Holy Spirit whom the Lord Jesus said he would send to his people to dwell among them and that is the way that he would dwell among us notice he will praise the name of the Lord in the midst of the great congregation and this continues to today Christ has paid his vows that which he had covenanted with the Father and the Spirit with regard to the covenant of redemption he has met that that, uh, that promise. And he has done that for the meek of the earth. But then note, all ends of the earth shall come and praise the Lord. And finally, a seed shall serve him. And I'm reminded, perhaps you are too as well, of Isaiah 53. That speaks greatly as well of the sufferings of Christ, doesn't it? And what does, what does uh, that... Um, that portion of Isaiah guarantee to us that when Christ shall become that, that, uh, that sufferer on behalf of his people, that he shall see his seed. He shall see his seed. That is, he will do that for the joy that is set before him, which is communion with his people for all eternity. He shall see his seed. Well, Psalm 22 then, what a wonderful passage for us to meditate upon the fullness of the incarnation of Christ. Let's stand and call upon the Lord in prayer.